Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Welcome to Hope Church. Really excited to be here with you this morning and uh, share the word with you. Um, before we get started, I just thought we would, if, uh, if you'll indulge me, I want to just take a minute and pray for some friends of ours. Um, many of you know Joe and Pam Martinez, um, and um, they've been serving in our community and been a part of our family for uh, almost since the beginning, so many years. And um, their oldest son is living in Arizona, and he is in a hospital right now. He's on life support, and they flew out to see him last night. So can we take a minute and just pray for them? Lord, we just thank you for Joe and Pam and their whole family, um, Jeffy and Danny and Christopher, and, and we just um, uh, just thank you for what a blessing they've been in our community and the lives of so many people over the years, and we just ask that you just be with them, comfort them, surround them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, be with them in that hospital room, and just pray for um, your will to be done in this situation, Lord. I can't imagine the heartbreak of a parent sitting by the hospital bed of a child, Lord, just be their comfort, be their peace right now, in Jesus' name, amen. On the other side of town right now, um, Danny and Jenny are getting ready to open up the church, uh, co- the Coastlands in Aptos for the first time since March of last year, so that's really exciting. Um, so we'll be praying for them and thinking about them this morning as well. That's part of, you know, part of being in a family is there's, there's joy and there's sorrow, and it's, it's just all part of the same thing, and um, it's just... Uh, Part of being a family together, isn't there? Um, hey, listen, so I'm Chris Matley. Most of you know me, and uh, some of you probably know that I've driven the same car for 22 years. <laughs> I am a creature of habit. In fact, I got a picture of that car right up here, um, if you want to see it. There she is. That is a 1997, Mike Burns, that's a 1997 Nissan Pathfinder in Burgundy. I know, that's the thing. It still runs in Santa Cruz. That's like 1500 bucks right there. <laughs> two, yeah, two, baby. That's right. So here's the thing. It's, it's like an old friend. I've driven that car for 22 years, and you know, just recently my wife came to me, and it, it runs fine. It's still running. It's running. But, but I, I use my car for work. I go and I visit jobs, and I measure things, and I represent our company to people, and my wife, my wife came to me and said, it's time. It's time. Now, she's said this to me before, but this time there was, there was a little more bass in her voice, you know? It's time. Anyone who's married knows what that, that means, and I said, oh, okay, it is time. So I, I got a new car. Now, I don't have a picture of the new car because who cares? This car is my friend. <laughs> who cares? This is the one that was my friend. What I found is that um, when you go shopping for a new car, which I hadn't done in 22 years, they... They ask you questions when you go to the lot. You go and you say, I'm here for a new vehicle, and they ask you, what kind of features are you looking for? And I didn't know the answers to these questions. I said, I was hoping for four tires. I said, my old car has a cup holder. I don't know if they're still doing that, but I like that feature. So I got a new car. The thing about driving a new car is that what you discover is you start going a lot faster. Because the thing about driving an old car if it, does anybody drive an old car? I, 
yeah, so the thing about driving an old car is you know that thing that people in new cars do where there's traffic and they make, and people like go real fast into the traffic, you know, they make a left turn, they accelerate, or you know, you get on a highway and you see new cars, they go, you know, like this, and the rest of us in old cars go, <laughs> you know, because there's a real concern that if you go too fast in an old car, something might fall off, <laughs> something important. And so I've been finding myself going fast everywhere. And, and really, it's, I've been thinking about this. We, we go fast everywhere, don't we? I mean, if you have to go more than a mile somewhere, you drive a car and you get there quickly. If you have to go more than you could get there in a couple hours drive, we, we fly. We, we fly places. Um, we don't go anywhere slow. Um, and, uh, but, but these stories about Jesus in the Bible, they went everywhere slow. You know, a couple years ago, I went to Israel with my dad on a trip. We swam there. No, we flew. We flew there, just like you would. And when we got there, um, I started mapping all the... I wanted to go the same places that Jesus went. And I wanted to go the same direction that he went. And then I, I wanted to go to the next place that he went. I kind of mapped a little course of where he would go. And I, I, I you know, I got to be honest with you, I've, I've studied the scriptures. I've been a Christian all my life. I really had no idea. I, I, it just, you know, when you look at Israel on a map, it's a sliver, isn't it? It's just this tiny little thing. I thought we were going to walk everywhere. And there's places where you go, oh, that's, that's four hours by car. Like, we, we rented a car when we got there to get to, you know, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's like four hours from Jerusalem by car. So what I realized is that in the, in the scriptures when it says, and then Jesus and his friends went down Jerusalem. You're talking about a 16-hour walk. I mean, you're packing food and a bedroll, you know. Um, it's funny that we call our relationship with, with Jesus, we, we call it our walk, don't we? I've been walking with Jesus for this many years. We've been walking with Jesus for, for so long. And, but do we ever really slow down like he did with his friends? Do we slow down and really genuinely walk with him? You know, we've, so today we're wrapping up a series called Redeeming Rest. We're talking about uh, redeeming rest. And I'm just going to tell you from the outside, I just need to be honest, I'm terrible at this. This is not, you know, this is, I'm not speaking to this from an area of strength. This, is, this has been a tough week for me getting ready for this. Um, and you, you, we've heard from Tim uh, Coleman, and we've heard from Danny, and we've heard from Savannah last week, Pastor Savannah. Wasn't that good? Right? But we've all been talking about the same thing, basically. We're, we're coming at it from different angles, but it's the same thing. We're talking about rest as a spiritual component of our walk with Jesus. And so, so I thought, I'm going to come to today with not a big, huge, long uh, message and all this deep um, uh, context, subtext. I, I, I'm just, I, I just brought you two things. I have two things, and then we're going to do communion. I have just two things. I want to ask a question and talk about it together, and I have one point for you. Is that all right? I want to keep it simple. I want to slow down today. I want to, I want to try to do this right. So first, I, I'm going to ask us a question. I'm going to, I, and I want us to talk about this together. You know, many times in church when you hear someone say, we're going to talk about this together, what they mean is they're going to talk and you're going to listen, right? I really do want to talk about this for a minute. The question is, what are we? What are we? When you think about, I mean, we're human beings, right? We're, I mean, what is a human being? What, what makes a human being a human being? What is it? This is, not, uh, this is, this is a conversation. What, 
Anybody, if you have a, an answer, shout it out. What, what, what makes us a human being? Say it again. Appendages. Appendages. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So there's the the physical makeup of who we are kind of helps define us. Yeah. What else? Opposing. <laughs> Opposing thumbs. It'd be real hard to get to where we've gotten today without these. That's true. Relationships. Relationships. Okay. So relation. So there's something relational that sets us apart from other creatures. Souls. Okay. There we go. So. So there's a physical thing going on, but there's something else, right? Uh, people call it a soul. What else? Heart. Intelligence. Heart. Yes, very good. We're going to talk about that. Heart. Heart. Now, now, you mean this thing with all the ventricles right here, or you mean heart, like, like I love someone with my heart, right? Yeah, it's bigger than that. What was the other thing someone said? Intelligence. Yes, intelligence, right? Separates us from the animals. Speech, okay, yes, we can talk. Love, love, love is a component. So, so there's, there's these different things that make us what, what we are, right? Have you, um, you've probably heard someone say, someone said soul, someone, uh, other, other people say we have a spirit, right, living inside of us, yeah? Um, and, and the way we talk about these things, we talk about them very compartmentally, don't we? There's these different compartments that make us who and what we are. You might be surprised to find that, that this compartmental style of thinking about human beings is, uh, doesn't actually come from the story in the scriptures. It comes from uh, Greek philosophy, in fact. So about 400 years before Jesus, Greek philosophers began talking about this and thinking about this. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, this was a very popular way to think about human beings. And it has been ever since this compartmentalized way of thinking. So Greek philosophers, they, uh, they thought the universe was like this, that there is, everything divides in half. There's the celestial, that's what you can see up in the night sky. So stars, or during the day you'd see the sun. At night you see the moon. They'd see really big points of light. They didn't know that they were planets at the time but they named them after their gods, like you know, Mars and Venus and Neptune, right? Pluto, yes, that's right. Some people say it's not a planet. I'm in the planet camp on that one. It's definitely a planet. Thank you. We're not changing that now. Um, so, the, so the Greeks looked up and they said, this is celestial. And up here is things that are eternal. Uh, there's a that's where heaven resides in eternity. And and there's spiritual things, and these things are beautiful, and we write poetry about it, and there's, and there's gods, and there's this whole tableau that plays out in the celestial realm. And the other half was of the universe is terrestrial. That's down here. Now, they didn't know that there were other places, the Greeks, um, in the universe. They just thought this was it. But down here was the terrestrial. That's rocks and wood and flesh and trees and things that are not going to last forever, temporal things, things that break down and rust and mold and, and are destroyed, right? Trees fall down, don't they? And they don't last, and, and things here are not as good, and they're ugly, and they break. So everything was either celestial or terrestrial. And so this, this developed this idea that our body was just this temporary housing unit for an eternal spirit that would then go on and live beyond this world. That's what the Greeks thought. 
I want to look and see what the Bible says. Don't you? Let's, let's take a look and see what Scripture has to say about this. Um, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to look in, in Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 2. And, you know, sometimes to understand what someone was saying a long time ago, you have to put yourself in their shoes, you have, or sandals, as it were. Uh, you have to put yourself in their time and their specific place in culture and history. For example, if you, if you wanted to understand the thought process of someone from, that lived during the Civil War, the American Civil War, that's only 140 years or so ago, give or take, <clears throat> um, you would have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. You'd think differently, right, to understand what they were saying. Well, well we're looking at, at, at text that was written 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. That's a lot of space between us and them, right? So let's put ourselves in their position and look and see what they would have thought and thought about and seen as they wrote these, these words. So this is Genesis chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. Let's put verse 1 up on the screen, in fact. This, to me, I, this actually really has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but it's just, Tim read this uh, a couple weeks ago, and this is one of the most beautiful lines, I think, written maybe in the entire uh, Bible. It, Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. You know, not for nothing, but Genesis is not a scientific book. It's not a book about science. It's not the mechanics of how things came to be. It's it answers philosophical and theological questions instead. But when you look at the natural sciences and you see how the expanding universe has unfurled and sequentially how life came on the scene, it, it is exactly like this. It is exactly what you would expect to find. So this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to skip ahead six verses, and we're going to go to cha- uh, verse 7. Okay? So we're skipping ahead six verses, and... Uh, in sequence, about 13.7 billion years, right? And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what, here's what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust, from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So what's missing there? What's missing all this compartmentalization that we were talking about, right? All these compartments. Just a physical husk and then an eternal spirit and a, a soul and a, a heart and all these things that we, we divide off and we say, well, this is, these are the things that we are, that make up a human being, right? Let's look at the Hebrew version of this, because I think it's far more interesting than the English version. So I took the, I took the English words, and I put them on the left side of the screen, and I put the Hebrew words on the right side of the screen. This is, what, this is what the original author would have written, and this is what the original hearers of these words would have read. The Lord God formed Yahweh Elohim. That's God, and then his proper name, Yahweh. So they knew exactly who they were talking about right? And the next, it says, he formed the man. Here's the next. There we go. Man, ha-adam, from the dust, a pair of the ground. Ha-adama. So, ha-adam is where we get the word Adam. That's, that's the name, Adam. It means humankind. It doesn't mean man. It means men and women, human beings, right? God formed human beings from the ground. Now, ha'adam actually means dirt, literally. So God built these dirt creatures from the 
from the uh, basic building blocks of the universe, from the dust. And then he breathed into him. He breathed in him. What did he breathe into him? He breathed the breath. Nismat, the breath of life. Chayim. Have you heard the, the Jewish toast? L'chayim, right? To life. What does that mean, to life? Chayim means not just life, like I'm alive or I'm not alive. It means all of the things that make up my life, the joys, the sorrows, the, the relationships, the family, my prosperity or successes, failures, all of those things that make life such a rich tapestry. Chayim. God put that inside of us. He breathed. He breathed his nismat into us and gave us life. And the man became a living being. That's how we got here. You want to know something interesting? This is how he made everything. We're not unique yet. This is how he made animals and trees and other things. He made them from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into them. He breathed life into them. So what is it that makes us unique? Everybody has this nismat. Everything in, in creation, when you look around, has this nismat. What is it that makes us so unique? He gave us this unique twist. You know what it is? You have to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, to hear it. God created mankind, ha'adam, in his own image. He made him in the image of God. He created them. And just to be clear, he says male and female, he created them in his image. That's why we're unique. We are a physical reflection of a non-physical being because we have the ability to reason. We have intelligence. We can make choices. That is what makes us unique. So we are a multidimensional creature instead of a, just a one-dimensional being, right? So what are the dimensions? Let's look, let's look and see what some of these dimensions are. We've named some of them, but we talked about them like compartments, different segregated compartments. Now let's think about these dimensions as a holistic picture of who we are and what we are, right? Let's take our fresh eyes and look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. We'll have it up on the screen. Jesus said before he would read the scriptures, he'd say, he'd say, do you have ears? So let's check. You want to check real quick? Do you have ears? Are ears? Did they fall off? Were you going too fast this morning? Huh? No, they're still there? Okay. Jesus said, do you have ears? Then we should listen. Let's listen. Let's listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Jewish tradition, by the way, I talked about this a few weeks ago. In Jewish tradition, this would have been true in Jesus' day. Um, Jewish families would sing or pray this passage of Scripture every morning and every night. So he would have been very familiar with this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Check this out. Love the Lord your God with all your... With all your... And with all your... Okay, now check this out. So these are not compartments, different separate elements that together make a human being. These are facets of a multifaceted creature that is us. 
heart is the Hebrew word lev. You know heart, when Hebrews talked about heart, uh, you mentioned heart, right? We have a heart. Now, where are our feelings? When you have feelings, where are they? That's right. We, we say, we, I, I feel love or I feel anger or whatever. We feel that. And we generally say it's kind of like right here. Yeah, happiness, exactly. And where, but where do we think? Where do we think? Right. We think here. We feel here. That's how we think of it. The Hebrews didn't think of that. Heart was all of that. If you had a feeling, if you had a thought, if you changed your mind, if you had a, a reflection upon something, all of that was lev or leva heart, right? Love your God with all of that, your whole being, your whole being. And then with all of your soul, soul is the Hebrew word nefesh, which literally translates means throat. You remember David in the Psalms, he said what? He said, my soul pants for the Lord, like the deer pants for the water. I'm thirsty for God. Where are you thirsty? In your throat, your nephesh, right? But nephesh also was where life came in and life breathed out. It was all of you, your whole being, your heart, your soul. It's all of you and your strength. This is the Hebrew word miod. It means muchness, a lotness. It means power. It means the things that you can do. Love your God with all of your whole being and all of the things that you do. You see how this, this is a different way of thinking about this, right? However we want to think about how we are made, we are designed to live in one place. Do you know where you were designed to live? It's not so much a physical location as a when. When were you designed to live? You can't live anywhere else. You were designed for one time, and that is the present. You were made to live in the present. Can you revisit the past? No. Unless you're Marty McFly and you have a converted DeLorean with a flux capacitor, you're going nowhere. Can you visit the future, anyone? No. The future is coming at us at the same rate it's coming at it, everyone. One second at a time, right? We'll get there, but we can't visit. Can't revisit the past, can't visit the future. So where can we live? Where were we designed to live? In the present. So here we're coming to my, main, my, my one and only point. Is that when we become overwhelmed by our present, and sometimes for some of us, our present kind of sucks. It's terrible sometimes. You know, you, you, you're... Um, when we're struggling, when we're overwhelmed by our present, we forget how to rest, don't we? And then we do something, we, and this is what I want to talk about. We substitute rest for distraction. Those are not the same things. You had a hard day at work. It was a hard week at work. You're headed home. Traffic is rough. You get a text from the home front that says, stop and pick up some eggs and milk. We're all out. And you think, really? You had eight hours to do that while I was at work, but okay. You pull off and you can't find a good parking spot, so you gotta walk all the way across the parking lot. You get inside the grocery store, they're out of the thing, so you have to get the other thing. You think, I could call, but I'm not going to, I'm just gonna get the thing. And you get in line and it's 10 deep and there's one checker and they're moving at the rate of a turtle. 
and you see the guy stalking bread, and you think, he could be ringing me up, but he's not. <laughs> and you're 10 deep in line, and what do you do? What do we do? <laughs> and pray would be good. You're a way better man than I am, Mike Burns. I pull out my phone, and I put it in front of my face, and I start distracting myself. Why? So I don't have to think about my present. Right? Distraction eclipses our view of the present, but rest helps us find peace in the present. Here's how David said it in the Psalms. He says this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all of my di- the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Have you ever thought about what a terrible place it would be to sit and eat dinner with your, a friend? in the presence of your enemies, why would that be? What a terrible place to eat dinner. My enemies are all around me. Now, in David's case, these, we're talking about like actual physical enemies, people that wanted to kill him. Our life is way less complicated than that. We just have bills and property taxes and, you know, our cell phone plan changed and it didn't tell us and it's a whole thing. You know, and now you've got a new rate and you've got to figure that out and insurance is different now and you got to get stuff from the grocery store and there's traffic and all that stuff. Your enemies are encamped around you, right? Your presence is hard. And here's God's invitation. Sit down. In the middle of all of that, come and sit with me. Let's talk. Let's be together. Don't distract yourself from it. Sit in the middle of it and experience me because I am enough. Your cup will overflow Here's how Jesus stated it. I think he stated it quite well, uh, even a little bit um, aggressively in this passage of Scripture. He talks about this, Matthew chapter 6. He says this, Why are you worrying about your clothing? You look, look and see the flowers of the field, how they grow. Don't they, they don't labor and spin. I, yet I tell you, even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these, was, was not dressed as well as these. Is that... If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. In other words, people that don't know or have a relationship with God, that's what they do. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Sit in the middle of all of this thing that is your life, and experience me. I guess I have two points, actually. So, no, you know what? I have one point, but this is subsection B of the first point. That's what it is. Distraction hijacks our imagination for no purpose. Distraction hijacks our imagination for no purpose. Your imagination is a profound gift of God. Imagination is what Einstein used to come up with the general theory of relativity while he was working in a dusty print shop in Vienna in the early 1900s. All on his own. No calculators, no computers. What have you used your imagination for recently? I used to build things with my imagination in my head. I used to imagine things. I used to create 
and problem solve. Now I just imagine myself somewhere else. I'm just being real, okay? I'm, that's just real. That's, that's what it is. I don't, I don't go to counseling. I just do this in front of you instead. <laughs> Can anyone relate to that at all? Distraction hijacks our imagination for no purpose, but rest makes room for us to dream for the future. Some of us need to relearn how to dream again. Yeah? Who wants to dream for a better future? A future infused with the values of God. A future that God would help us build for our life, for our family's lives, for the community around us. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm going to close with this. I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 again, but I'm going to read kind of the verses that come after it because I think it adds a context to it that we need to hear this morning. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, your whole being and everything that you do. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Amy and I have been talking through this passage of Scripture with the kids this week. And we asked them, does this mean that we're supposed to tattoo these things on our ventricles, <laughs> right? Written on our hearts, what does that mean? It means to take these things in and add them to the total of who we are. Impress them on your children. I've been doing that this week. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You know, in some strict Jewish traditions, you've probably seen this, but they're, they're, the men will actually take a box and put a little scripture on a little paper and, and actually tie it with a headband around on their forehead. That's because of this passage right here. But I think Moses had something different in mind when he said, tie them on your hands and your foreheads. You know, what do you do with your hands? What do you do with your hands? Everything, Right? You do anything without your hands? Everything we do. Our hands are so that we can do things. Our opposable thumbs are how we get through life, right? When we take the values of God, His Scripture, His words, and we infuse them into everything that we do, we align ourselves with His truth. We we become better human beings. And and, And when we do the same with our thoughts, instead of inviting in distraction, we invite Him into our present, right? And then finally it says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The door frames of your houses and your gates. You know why that is? Because this was not meant to be lived out in the privacy of your home behind closed doors. This was meant to be lived out loud and in the community. God's plan for returning this planet back to its original intent is us, It's us. That's his plan. That's his plan. And there's no backup plan. There's no backup plan waiting in the wings. It's us. This is us. To get this right in front of people and demonstrate Jesus. And when we allow distraction to prevent us from living in our present and dreaming about the future, we sabotage 
the only plan that exists to transform the earth through people like us. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.